Thank you for listening to this podcast from Emanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you would like to learn more about Emanuel or find more resources like this one, visit our website at emanuelbirmingham.com. Okay. Welcome, everybody. My name is Eric Parker, and I'm your new equip friend. Um, I'm kidding. Hey, come on in. Um, Yeah, so my name is Eric Parker, and this is my first Sunday as the Director of Theological Formation here at Emmanuel. So I'm very excited about this role to be able to be a part of um, encouraging you guys, building you up, lifting you up. Um, And so let's pray, and I'd love to kind of go around and learn some names, hopefully. Um, And then with whatever time we have, we'll sort of go through the initial lesson. Um, So, Father, I just invite your presence here this morning to instruct us through your Holy Spirit to look on Christ, to be filled with your Holy Spirit so that we might uh, know you in deeper and more true ways and to be able to live the Spirit-filled life this week ministering your gospel to those who need it most. I'm thankful for this opportunity to join with this church family, and I pray for um, an amazing grace in these times that we have together every week so that we might be more like you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to just tell you a little bit about me before we kind of continue on, if that's all right. Um, Yeah, so welcome to Equip Class. Um, we're going to be studying public theology for the next, like, forever, indefinitely. Um, I'll explain what that is in a moment. But who am I? I am Eric Parker, Director of Theological Formation. That's a fun title. Um, I thought about that for a long time. And then Austin let me have it. So, Director of Theological Formation. Um, essentially, you know, what that is, is once upon a time, churches used to have doctors in them. Not medical doctors, although they had those. Um, But actually an office in the church, there was someone whose sole responsibility was the teaching in the church. So not preaching, but the teaching, the theological formation of the the membership. Um, So, you know, lots of things happen. We don't have that as an office in the church anymore. Um, But that's a really hot uh, thing. Um, But... But we see a greater and greater need for someone to be focused on that today. And so Austin came to me with that vision for you guys. um, That um, it's hard, obviously, to be uh, a pastor who's preaching and then preparing a similar length kind of message or teaching for this. And to also be meeting with you guys over coffees and all the stuff. Um, And so he wanted you to really have someone who could just focus on building you up and equipping you both um, in your family life and ministry, but also in your work and everywhere in between. Um, And so that's really what I exist here to do is to help you know God um, and uh, and live out what that means on a daily basis. Um, I for really my day job, I work at a place called Highlands College. Uh, which is sort of an upstart college here in town. Um, So I'm a professor of theological studies there. And um, I am uh, am in a postgraduate program at the moment, um, studying this thing called public theology. And next year, we'll be starting a uh, doctoral program in in Ireland, actually. 
Um, I'll still be here, but kind of doing kind of a long distance situation. And I'll be studying uh, basically the big category would be like the gospel and race, um, which kind of leads to my personal story to a degree is I'm biracial. So my father is black and my mother is white. And that growing up in the 80s and 90s created an interesting sort of in Montgomery, Alabama, a very interesting um, experience. Um, and uh, really begrudgingly, I've kind of come to this place where I feel like God has called me to um, to study these things at a greater depth so that I can be an encouragement and a voice in the church um, on them. Because I feel like there's a lot of people talking about it without a lot of um, clarity. And, um, and a lot of people talking about it without a lot of, um, well, competency, um, to be honest. But they sound very competent. And so I thought, well, why don't I actually become competent? And then I can try to be a voice of grace and hope um, and light in a very kind of dark conversation, no pun intended. Um, and so uh, I'm married to Katie, and there she is, my beautiful family. Uh, in between us is Elizabeth, who's five and a half, and then Hudson, who's seven and a half. They're downstairs right now. And then, um, and then our newest, Lucy, who is amazing. Um, she was born on December 1st, and uh, her name is Lucy Evelyn Parker. Um, her and Katie are at home because she's a newborn, and so we want her to get her shots and everything before you know we really bring her around people. So you won't see them too until probably sometime into February. Um, so don't take it personally. Uh, and just because I love my kids, I'll just show you another one. Um, <laughs> Lucy just hanging out by the Christmas tree. Um, so yeah, uh, any just before we kind of launch into the topic for today with whatever time we have left, we're going until what time? 10, 10 we can, I can go to 10.15. Okay, perfect. Um, any questions just about me or my family or anything that I've mentioned or just, you know, I know it's kind of a weird way to start to get to know each other, but alas, here we are. What school are you going to in Ireland? Um, it's called Union Theological College in Belfast. Fun fact, who, uh, what famous Christian thinker and writer came from the Northern Ireland area? What was that? Lewis. Lewis, yeah. Yeah, so he's actually Irish, but a lot of Englishmen are, so they still have English accents with a little Irish twist on it. Okay, any other questions? Okay, well, if you think of something else you'd like to ask me, then, you know, it doesn't have to be relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, so, public theology. Um, this is where I'd like to spend easily the first year together, is thinking about public theology. And a lot of you maybe have never heard the term, just out of show of hands, how, how many of you have heard the term public theology? Just show of hands. Art has, Austin has. Okay, so good. So this slide has a purpose then. Um, so what is public theology and, and why does it matter? Public theology is a branch of theology that focuses on the role of Christian beliefs and practices in public life, okay? So a lot of times we think about theology, and maybe you, you're, like, really fond of that term because you think, oh, like, I get to go deeper in God's Word, and it, it almost becomes like this exercise in learning more and getting excited about that, which I like for sure. Um, but one of my convictions is that... Um, we have divorced our theological and Christian thinking 
from our public lives, whether that's something related to like technology or race or sexuality or whatever else. And so in such a vitriolic culture that we live in today, there is an enormous need, an enormous need to be able to think Christianly about all the things that are coming at us through the different means and um, and mediums that we have, right? Like we have so many questions and we feel like we don't even know where to go to ask them. And so I feel like the, the, the call of the hour is to equip you guys to not just think theologically and not just think in the public, but to think theologically in public. Does that make sense? Okay, so yeah, so Christian beliefs practice in public, it involves the application of theological principles to contemporary issues in society such as social justice or politics, economics, technology, and culture. Um, it is concerned with the ways in which Christianity can contribute to the common good and to the flourishing of all members of society. So it's not trying to create this second place. It's trying to say that creation was good as God intended it. Now it has been distorted by the fall, but we don't want to um, create kind of this other society in one sense where everything that's created in the original is bad and we want to be out from it. We want to get away from it. No, we want to see the original creation redeemed. And so all the things that go on in the original creation that people who are still in the original under the first Adam who are unfortunately fallen and not redeemed are experiencing, we want to see them flourish too in God's good design for creation. And we'll talk about what that might mean and what that can look like. And then lastly, public theology is about faithful presence. It seeks to articulate what it means for one to think Christianly about uh, what all that one does in the world. Um, so does that sound like something you guys would be interested in for the next you know, indefinite while? Yes, I got a thumbs up from Kristen. That's what I was looking for. Um, so why? Why public theology? Um, well, let's let David Dockery. So we're going to look at a biblical case for cultural engagement where we can bring together the love of God and love of neighbor. That's kind of the, the, what we're doing today. Um, David Dockery, who has been like a university president 10 times over of a bunch of different institutions. He's a really smart, faithful Christian. Um, who I love and, and learn from. Um, I have to get over here so I can see better. Um, he says, The thoughtful Christian will explore a wide, complex, and diverse range of topics through the lens of the Christian faith. Such exploration implies more than being thoughtful about life in general, even by a person who claims to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For unfortunately, it is quite possible to be a Christ follower without thinking faithfully or consistently in Christian categories. So that's just to say that like a lot of us in this room and a lot of us in our churches, um, especially in Bible Belt South evangelicalism, um, you know, we would say we love Jesus, but we have this major disconnect about like that love for Jesus and how that informs the way we live in very mundane, practical ways. So to think in Christian categories will shape the way that we think about all aspects of life, whether we are talking about businesses, healthcare agencies, which we already have both of those represented here, uh, governments, social structures, recreational activities, and yes, our homes and churches too. To be a thoughtful Christian means that we seek to think differently about the way we live and love, the way we worship and serve, the way we work to earn our livelihood. Um, so that's kind of the, the vision for what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
So then I wonder what you think about these next few issues that we're going to watch here on the screen. If I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, boy, <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you, no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but i say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. You're like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman. Mia Thomas taking first place in the NCAA 500 yard freestyle. Sports Illustrated calls the college senior the most controversial athlete in America. Leah was like number 467 when she competed as a male. And he just won a 500 yard freestyle by a full 14 seconds. Like that, there's no 14 second differences between swimmers. Thomas's closest rival in a longer freestyle race was 38 seconds behind. That's a different country. Because critics say she has an unfair physical advantage over the other swimmers. I don't think you I don't put know a, number a number on it. Yeah, yeah. It's not a number. Once they have an understanding of the gender. I did a little bit of research on that actually, and I think maybe the best ages would be around like 13, 14. I mean, I remember being 13, 14 and being able to like make pretty good decisions for myself. Maybe a little older, I'm not sure, oh, no, but... You're, you're mature, I've made stupid <laughs> decisions at 13, 14 years old. Maybe seven. seven. Yeah, I would say seven. Kids as young as six years old. At six, I think I was still throwing my feces <laughs> on the wall. So well, not... then obviously you weren't ready, <laughs> but I never know. Whatever they want to start it, they can. Like, however young they feel like they're different, like, just 
Events in Minneapolis and the protests that followed have sparked some very difficult conversations about race. So we turn to two leading scholars and best-selling authors who've written extensively about race in America. Ibram Kendi is of Boston University, and Robin D'Angelo is from Washington University in Seattle. Uh, Ibram, what is a question you think white people should be asking? I, I think if white people claim they are anti-racist, then they should be asking questions like, why is it that unarmed black people are being killed by police, but, but armed white people are being arrested? Why is it that, that black people are disproportionately dying of COVID-19? Why is there a growing racial wealth gap in this country? A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up. And we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. <laughs> Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. If everyone's entitled to their own facts, there's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. There's two kinds of people, Dad. The ones who have a B-Bot and the ones who don't. Hey, guys. Oh, sorry, I'm in your shot. Oh, I have a filter for that. To have a social life? Yeah, Dad, kind of. I, I don't want you addicted to some device. Yeah, no. I got what you want. I got, oh, Dad, I got, you got me one. Oh. Hi, Barney. I'm your best friend out of my box. What are you doing? Your Bebot is like super weird. I am Barney's Bebot. Will you come to my secret shed and like him? No, no. Look here, Ron. A bunch of your code is missing. You're supposed to know everything about me. Hair brown. Height 4'11. 5'11 would be better. Girls would not laugh at you. Hey! Making friends is what he's for. Friend request? Friend request. If he can't do that, he's like literally pointless. Whoa! Rose is pulling my head off! You can't pull his head off! We'll get in trouble! Okay, I cannot pull his head off. All right, so we saw a number of issues. What are some of them? Gender identity. 
Gender identity, absolutely. Will we be watching Tucker Carlson every week? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> he was the most expedient clip that I could find. And unfortunately, the, the truth is that there are certain things that need to be talked about that you'll only find on the left, and there are other things that need to be talked about that you'll only find on the right, even on more inflammatory versions of the right. Um, and so that was a matter of convenience. Okay, so gender identity, what else? What other issues did you see in that little montage that I created for us? Well, a variety of identity issues. Okay. Right? So, uh, well, and I guess the, uh, <clears throat> I guess a variety of identity issues, but also the, uh, um, um, how we interact with people who, the issue of, our own relationship with people who have different identities than us. So uh, whether that's racially, racial, gender, um, ethnic, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. <coughs> height. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And then obviously the issue of technology. Mm -hmm. there. Somebody else want to comment on that? The issue of technology? What did you see in there? There's a few different examples of that that were kind of speaking at different angles social media social media and it's mass narcissistic tendencies yes and i think that uh documentary would actually um attribute even more nefarious um motives behind that but at, at a minimum the effect that it's having on us to become more narcissistic okay the other technology piece anybody pick up on that Google. <laughs> <laughs> Something about Google, fair enough. Oh, like likes and things drive behavior. Like yeah. It's restructured kind of like the social um, like influence, I guess. Yeah. And how to act in real time. Yes, absolutely. So that's that's for a lot of us who it looks like are in the millennial-ish generation. But then our Gen Z friend right here, I mean, that's definitely a part of her generation. I mean, the studies have shown the massive impacts that it has on kids, especially girls. Um, and yet we just keep rolling around like no big deal. Now, I have no like, I don't know what to do. So I'm not prescribing any sort of like, hey, here's what you should do. But I'm just saying like, it's kind of like the elephant in the room sort of situation, you know. Um, Art? I kept hearing the word feel over and over and over again, particularly in contexts where people are being asked to affirm something that's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk more about the pretty obvious thing later, okay? James' Tucker Carlson joke is also like a problem of media bias, like dissemination of information, like who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. How do you discern that? How do you filter that through our limited access to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the information that's coming through the media channels. Yeah. So how do we even have shared facts? Like, we don't anymore. It's not just different opinions. It's not just that you're watching either CNN or Fox News and getting different takes on the same set of events or facts. It's that you will hear literally different data points that sometimes are not actually even real. Okay, any other thoughts that just something that you observe from from that? I 
said uh, if you don't, if you're the ultimate source of the truth, then you don't have to go outside of yourself for the truth, then we don't have to come together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What'd you guys think of um, Ron's Gone Wrong, the little clip right there at the end with the little robot thing that was going around? What do you think that was about? Huh? I wanna watch it. <laughs> it's, it's really funny, actually. Um, that's why I put it in there. Um, I don't think it's Disney. I, they might have bought the rights to it, but... <coughs> yeah, I think they bought the rights to it, but it, it was not originally a Disney film, I don't think, but I might be wrong. Um... Yeah, so maybe you've never seen it, but were you able to pick up on like maybe what is behind Ron's Gone Wrong? Maybe we're becoming addicted to technology. I, I literally fought with my robot vacuum for 45 minutes yesterday. And I have a regular vacuum neck. Like I could have had everything handled, but I'm sitting here for 45 minutes trying to get it yeah. connected. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Could have had this done and not been worried about it. Yeah. So, so take your robot vacuum, minus the cleaning ability, at least right now, um, add it to your Alexa or whatever version of that where you can interact with it and then amp it up a little bit. And you have, for some, a utopian future, others a dystopian future where you have little Ron there who's supposed to be your best friend who knows every single thing about you because he has the ability to like instantly scan all of social media, all of the internet, collate that information and then interpret that information about you. And then now you have this best friend who always affirms you, always does what you want and plays games with you, blah, 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 and then becomes an agent of helping you find other people just like you because your little robots can communicate and stuff. And then it also becomes this means to communicate with the world in unfettered ways like your phone does. So that's the third piece, not just your robot, but not just your... Um, your Alexa, but then it becomes your social media platform. And so, yeah, Kristen? It's like there's an external version of your personality to me. Okay, it's yeah. Yourself outside of yourself. <laughs> that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a big part of what that is. But do you see anything that might be unhealthy about that? Socially interacting with people that are different from us is like a part of life. Important. How old are you again? Twelve. Twelve. That was more meaningful than most of my college students have ever answered a question. But yes, socially interacting with people who are different from us is like a part of life. It used to be, at least. It's an important part of life. It's an important part of the Christian life, of walking, learning, in humility, in appreciating the image of God in others, in loving the other. Um, I mean, we could go on. That's one, so that's one thing, absolutely. I think it, the, the robot, your phone, your Facebook profile, whatever, um, not only is it limiting your interaction with other people, but also it's kind of locking your own identity in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's almost like, okay, here's who you are. And then you're kind of being like put in a box and told who you are by your own piece of technology. Yeah. Uh, it kind of limits your mm -hmm. expansion. That's right. Uh, your, your own possibility for personal growth because interacting with other people isn't only important. I mean, it's important for our growth. Mm -hmm. um, it's vital for Christian human experience. I mean, how many people that are sitting here hemming and hawing over whether somebody's six foot five 
uh, uh, actually want to like interact in interact with somebody and like get to the bottom of that and like mm-hmm. really learn more about. I mean, probably a lot of them do. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But some of them, yeah. Some people are setting up barriers and saying you have to be. Yeah. This. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, psychology, they. Um, they obviously study identity, and, and one of the keys to identity is that your identity is always in conversation and formation with another, with people around you, with your community. And so it's always being negotiated, essentially. So even in this scenario right here where we're all together, there are in little subtle ways, ways in which your personal identity is being negotiated by the person next to you and what I'm saying to you, what you're now learning, the social cues that you're getting from the people around, how, what they wear, this is all happening. And so obviously that even happens and maybe is more meaningful when you're around people who are very different than you. Okay, and so when you have this little robot that now becomes your best friend and mediates all your relationships, you have this disembodied world that you begin to live in when you were made to live in an embodied world around other social beings who can confront you as a mirror to what your real self is because we don't always see who we are as others see who we are. And that is a part of the way that God made us. But that gets taken away. So the wrong's gone wrong thing, that's happening on a much more simple scale just with the use of your phone, right? Um, But if I were to ask you on each of those topics that we saw in this little montage, like, what should we think about this? What's, What's a Christian way to conceive of this topic, whether it's gender or sexuality or race or technology, even to the point that you could start to build public policy around it. How many of us would feel like we have a meaningful answer to that question? And yet, we all are totally embedded in these same topics every single day. Maybe not all of the topics, but at least one of those topics, I'm sure. And so there's an urgent need for us to engage in thinking theologically about the world that we live in. Because if we don't, Someone else will, but it won't be theological. And I say someone else will. Someone else is. That's happening. We're passively going through life. Does that make sense? But someone is actively shaping us. So hopefully through this class the next year or more, we can take the reins back by God's grace and the power of His Spirit. Public theology is essentially an attempt to allow theology to actively affirm in some cases but also critique and condemn our culture where need be. It is an act of creating culture. But what is culture making? Because aren't we supposed to like not allow the culture to change us? You know, isn't that the question? Um, And so I just want to talk about culture for the next three minutes, and then we'll pick back up next week with kind of um, the remainder. But uh, so... More or less, culture is integrated systems of feelings, ideas, and values, and their associated patterns of behavior and products shared by a group of people who organize and regulate what they feel, think, and do. So, lamest terms, right? So, um, we have a shared culture if without any thoughtful sort of deliberation, we can talk in the same categories, um, we can dress with lots of the same kinds of clothes, Obviously, we speak the literal same language. Um, We might even live in the same community. We might go to the same church. But what determines whether or not you're sharing the culture is that it's all reflexive. Like, it's not an active 
thing that you're having to do to fit into the culture. So like I've been overseas and maybe some of you guys have been overseas a good bit. I've been to China and Thailand and, and India and and uh, it's a real effort to try to engage and act in their culture because I'm such an alien to it. But you, like the fish in the sea who is asked where the water is and doesn't know it because they have only ever lived in it and swam in it and breathed it, that's what your culture is to you, okay? And so we produce culture every single day with every action and every thought, okay? Culture is the food that we eat, the TV we watch, the clothes we wear, the language we speak, the friends we have. And you know culture when you see it, not because you're in it, but because you come into contact with it as a difference. So if any one of you has spent time or you've hung out in inner city Birmingham, you know immediately that uh, this is not home anymore. You're in a different place. There's different rules here, rules for social engagement right? Or if you've gone overseas, as I said, okay? So, so this is kind of like just a general definition of culture. Um, a more theological one or biblical one gets at this, whatever results from God's image bearers interacting with God's good creation. So all people everywhere are made in the image of God. We cannot help but interact with his created order. And when we do, we start producing culture. You know, you can think of the thought experiment of the person who's dropped into the, you know, middle of, I don't know, Adam and Eve, dropped into the garden. And from the moment they start putting together tools and other things, culture starts getting made. Uh, oh, it's 10.15. So um, we'll pick back up here with this definition next week, and then we'll talk, take a biblical tour through the Old and New Testaments for thinking about the call to make culture, and why it's needed now in our time more than ever. So, um, any questions? You guys feel good? Feel like we're going in a good direction? Yes? Okay. Well, let me pray for us. Oh, Hunter. Um, is there like a, a, like a general book that you're using as a guide? Oh, yeah, thank you. Stuff? Thank you, thank like, you. Thank you. Yes. So um, if you're interested, these are going to be my conversation partners for indefinitely. Like while we're on this topic of public theology and thinking about these issues, these will be my conversation partners. Um, the most the most significant one that will be a guide for me is called biblical critical theory. So don't think critical if you know anything about the academic discipline. It's not that. I can explain what this is meant here at another point, but this will be a strong influence. And then the other conversation partners are called pop apologetics. So it's like a theological examination of pop culture, um, the good and the bad. Uh, and then there is a book called The Doctrine of Creation, um, a Kyperian or a constructive Kyperian approach. So these will be kind of helping me frame my thinking because I'm going to be learning with you guys through this whole thing for the next year, year and a half, whatever. Um, so I'm going to be learning from them. I'm going to be taking, translating it to us here in this space. But if you want to be able to go deeper than what we have the time to do in our time together, then these are the three books that I would recommend you do that with. Okay, I can recommend others and probably will as we go, but that this is kind of be the, the standard books that I'm going to be kind of going back to again and again. So good question. Thank you for asking. I meant to do that. Anybody else? Yes, um, and the, all those clips, um, they're, they're actually think nice. 
Um, there were there were things in there that I uh, disagreed with. Um, well, almost all of that I disagreed with. But there were there were elements in there in which you know there might be something positive to say. But I just don't want you to think whatever you saw in there was me endorsing. It was more of an illustration of the heated, contentious issues that we have to think about. Okay. All right. Well, let me pray, and then if you want to chat another minute or two before service, I'm happy to do that. Um, Father, we're so grateful um, for how you've. Uh, led us in this last hour or so together, the names that I've learned, um, the relationships that are beginning to be formed even in this moment. And I pray for um, your help week by week to be transformed, as Romans 12 tells us, um, by the renewal of our minds, and that that would lead to right living and action in the world. So we love you. We're so grateful for you. We don't deserve you, and yet we get you, and we get to be embodied here together to receive your grace and your goodness to us every week. So would you show up today in today's service as not just another Sunday, not just another sermon, but a powerful encounter with you, O oh God. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.